Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We know that running a small firm is tough and ending the year with a profit may be even tougher. That's why we created Profit for Small Firm Architects. It's a three-module digital course and it's available to you for free right now by visiting entrearchitect.com slash free course. This is Entree Architect Podcast, episode 113. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Leadership. Where do we start? How do we, how do we grow a team to lead and And how do we inspire them to work toward a common vision? This week on Entree Architect Podcast, I'm speaking with counselor, facilitator, and executive coach Steve Langrude about how to start, grow, and inspire a team as the leader of a small firm architecture studio. This episode of the Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. Steve Langrude, welcome to the Entree Architect Podcast. 
Oh, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. This is going to be a fun session, I think. You and I were just talking a little bit, and I think uh, we have some connection here. It's, it's a, uh, and much better connection than the Skype was. So it's this will be a yeah. this will be a fun <laughs> fun conversation. Before we get into the conversation, we're going to talk about leadership. But before we do that, I'd love to um, have you go through your origin story. Sort of, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, and give us that that story of your journey. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Because I th I think you're right. I think that's important for everybody to really recognize, you know, where they came from and to be able to, you know, be intentional and reflective about, you know, where they've been and where they're going. Uh, and and so for me, I grew up in a, a town of 3,000 Norwegians in north central Iowa. And uh, as, as you as we talked, you know, my my last name is a little bit unusual unless you're there uh, where everybody has, you know, my last name. And, and the question is not, you know, what's your last name? It's like, well, which one do you belong to? <laughs> and so they try and put you in, you know, a, a clan of uh, of Oles and uh, Irvings and which one? Where do you go? Um, and, and as I moved through that, so I was raised in you know, agriculture and, and teachers and in a small, you know, small town, um, but also a factory town, a, a town that uh, was the home of Winnebago Industries. And so, you know, there was a strong sense of, of what it means to, uh, to have employment, to look at economic development and, and to be interested in how we all live together um, with, with those kind of diverse industries and, and backgrounds. Um, my initial thought professionally was that I would be a professional basketball player. And uh, I couldn't imagine anything better. And I spent most of my time, every, you know, hours before school and after school up in the Haymower of our barn um, where we had half hay and we had half basketball court. That's and great. so I would play and play um, and, and, you know, enjoyed that. And at one point, uh, you know, as I got ready to go to college, went to uh, – you know, some of these high-end basketball camps. And one, and one of the places was uh, where Bobby Knight was. And I thought, you know, if you're going to learn how to do something, you go where the best people are. Right. And, uh, and he was the best at that time. And so I wanted an opportunity to be around him and to learn. And one of the things he, he said to me is, uh, you know, you're a nice kid, but this isn't going to happen. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to be a pro basketball player probably. And uh, at the time, you know, I thought, wow, that's uh, that's kind of harsh, except he cared enough and I appreciate it now. And he, you know, really helped direct me into what that next phase was going to be in terms of my athletic career and my life. And and uh, the longer it's gone here, I am, you know, all these years later, I still remember that moment vividly. But what I what I take with that is simply, you know, that deep caring that he had to be honest. And I thought that was something that I wanted to emulate. Um, and it and it's not the kind of, you know, I brash, I'll tell you what I think and I'm abrasive. Not at all. It, it came out of a spot of love and caring and authenticity. And uh, that was important. So uh, from there, my next stop was saying, you know, well, if I can't play bro basketball, then I should probably be a French prehistorian which uh, is to be an archaeologist. <laughs> of course. I mean, what else do yeah. you do when you're not going to play basketball? That's the obvious uh, yeah, answer. So what does, a, yeah, what does an Iowa farm boy do, you know, when he can't play basketball? Well, he becomes an archaeologist. So I started to pursue that and, and pursued my field work in southern France, working on uh, 
the prehistoric work, you know, on Neanderthals and and again, the, the, the piece that was important to me was working with the best people. So I, you know, identified who's the top archaeologist and um, got one of my professors to write a letter. I, you know, spoke like, you know, two words of French and she helped me write a letter and translate it. And I sent it off to him and a letter came back in French and she read it to me. And she says, congratulations, you have a job. And so off I went and started the field work and, and, and just worked with the best people from all over the, the world uh, on these sites and people who are Fulbright scholars. And, and so that led me into thinking, well, I should get a Ph.D. in archaeology. Um, but what I learned there experientially is that I loved being in a cave, digging up artifacts and tools and being with people from all over the world and drinking wine at the end of the day. But getting a job in Bordeaux in a lab at the end of that experience taught me that I just didn't really like academic archaeology. And I couldn't have learned that without doing it. Yeah. Um, so you liked and, the digging part. You didn't like the laboratory part. Absolutely. And I also learned I just wasn't built that way, Mark. You know, I just my I didn't have the intellectual horsepower to do that kind of work and the aptitude. You know, so those two things kind of came together of saying, well, is that for you or not? Um, so that led me into, uh, you know, finishing, finishing my academic work and with a degree in teaching, um, uh, which my parents wisely said, no matter what happens to you, we think you should get a degree in teaching you'll uh, because people always need teachers, right? Whether it's in a school or industry, you know, that's a good skill to have, which I again appreciate their wisdom more today than I ever, ever have. Um, but it also led me on, you know, my passion for bicycling, which uh, I started just bicycling around the United States and ended up in Vail, Colorado, uh, working, as they say, in the ski industry um, for a while, and then <laughs> and then continuing on bicycling around the Southwest. And, and there was a point where, you know, I had run out of all my money and, and uh, you know, I had had probably enough bicycling for a while. And uh, decided that that I wanted to go back to graduate school, and um, and what really cemented that was was actually my mother, and sitting at her table because I've you know had the opportunity to travel all over the world at that point, and I and I would write journals and be reflective, and send them back to her for safety and for her to know, and she said to me one day, you know, I have a question. You send me these journals, I read them, and I appreciate that, but she says I never know where you are, what you saw. All you write about are these crazy people you met and how they changed your life. <laughs> and so I started thinking about, well, that's right. I, I really just care about stories about people and moving forward and progressing and, and changing. And so I started thinking, who gets paid to do that? Well, therapists. So I entered a counseling program and uh, got my training and then um, moved forward from there into higher education into a counseling position to decide, um, do I like, you know, mental health issues or something else? And what I really found that I loved was the idea of people who like too much are good at too much and can't make a decision about what to do. And that they're raised in a society that pressures them to choose from a list of existing things rather than kind of creatively, creatively paying attention to themselves and finding a way to put together diverse issues rather than simply select one. 
And I think it's that immobility that comes with people who are smart, well-educated, interesting, um, that society doesn't do us any favors. And, and that's why professionally then that has segued into the, a lot of the work I do with professional people like architects, doctors, surgeons, CEOs, who have what I call a curse. They like too much, they're good at too much, and it's really hard to choose and to be creative about realizing their dreams. And so that's where I focused my work for the last 25 years on helping people really be able to identify, articulate, and then in very practical, easy steps, move forward. Because at the end of the day, I'm still kind of, you know, a simple farm boy from Iowa, and I just, I need things that are tangible and action-oriented and easy to implement. Yeah, I love that. And and I think that the the description of the people that you work with today, with knowing too much and liking too much and not knowing how to choose, um, I find it uh, that that they, and many of them are probably not doing what they want to do. That they're not actually happy with the life that they've chosen. Because like you said, we sort of get put on this, this, this track as a child to pick something and go towards right. that and, and do everything you can to get there. Um, and very, very, it's, it's not very often that we're encouraged as children or once we get to teenagers, as children, children are encouraged to explore and, and learn and, and do all those things very much. But as you get older, they want you to pick and they want you right. to work towards that goal. And very often we end in a place where we didn't expect to be or didn't really want to be. Um, and so I, I find it very interesting that that's your job now is to help those people who are very creative and very smart, uh, can do all these different things, try to find that piece of who they are uh, and, and, uh, and help them get to the next step. Right. And, and I think that, you know, is really, you're picking up on a really critical piece there, which I think actually, you know, for your listeners, they should look to you as a model of, of how this works because it's not I think the easy thing to say is well I'm just going to completely change my life I'm going to change my career I'm going to get out of this that's not it at all it's it's simply really understanding where's my sweet spot and where do I what little changes do I have to make to be more congruent with myself and and that's the kind of work you know that that I find so gratifying and that helps people move and so you can you can make a little shift that allows you to accommodate many more things that are meaningful to you and where you're performing at a much higher level than making a, these huge changes that you're probably just moving into something different, but equally unhappy. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, and you had, you had said that, that, that I would be an example of that. And I agree with you. I think, I think I'm an architect, I'm a residential architect and I've, and I was, and I put myself on that track when I was 10 years old. And so I never, I put blinders on and I was going to be an architect. You know, I even right. manipulated the tests in high school to set up, to teach you whether, <laughs> you know, whether you're going to be this or that to make sure I was going to be an architect. So I became an architect, you know, despite yep. the, the rest of my, my life. But, um, but as I grew and, and I started exploring those other ideas of what I could become and the things that I was good at and the things that I liked, the things that lit me up, you know, the things that inspired me uh, were helping other people. Is this, right. is, is, you know, when, when somebody stops me on the street corner and asks me for directions, I get excited, you know, I, <laughs> I, I know the answer to that. I can help you get there, you know, and that, yeah. that's the kind of thing that happens with me. And so that's why I started Entree Architect. So I can do that with architects without leaving the profession. I could still be an architect yeah. 
and just tweak my life to, to sort of find my passion. And so what I'd like to talk to you about today, because um, March is the month uh, which we're shifting focus from last month. Last month, we talked about uh, business development and sales with, with Entree Architect. This month, we're talking about um, leadership. And, and I think that uh, what I'd love to talk about is sort of uh, how do you ultimately inspire other people to achieve? But before you get to the inspiration, you need to sort of take that first step with leadership. How do you, how do you build a team? How do you start? Um, right. You have a small firm, maybe a sole proprietor, and you're thinking about growing, and you have that fear. That fear stops us from taking that next step. So many of the sole proprietors that are in my uh, Entree Architect Academy, they want to grow, but they don't even know where to start. And they freeze, and then they stay sole proprietors and struggle because they've never taken that step. So I'd like to sort of maybe go through the progression of how do you start with leadership? How do you grow a team? And then maybe once the team is there and you start this team, how do you inspire them to sort of move in the direction that you want them to go? That sounds like right. a good, good plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that you're hitting kind of the, the starting point is something that I hear over and over again and see in the media. And, and it's something that no one could disagree with, um, which is, and, and, you, and you even use the word, it's follow your passion. And, and in many ways, that's an inspiring and potentially freeing statement for people to say, well, just follow your passion, right. it'll be okay. And everybody, you know, you throw up your hands and you smile and you march away and you go, holy crap, <laughs> what do I do first? Right, right. <laughs> you know, if I knew how to follow, I would have done that, you know, so it makes sense and it doesn't. And so, you know, I think it's really critical to be able to say, okay, how do we deconstruct that and create some steps to follow your passion? And, uh, and so I think that's, you know, in, in leadership, that's the first thing is understanding yourself. You look in and then you go out. So it's an inside out approach um, that you have to know yourself. You have to be able to, for me, um, when I work with, with people in this position, to, to break it into four very simple parts. And that is to look at, you know, what are the skills I have that I want to use every day? What are the issues or topics that give me energy and I want to spend all day thinking, talking, reading, researching, engaging in that? Who are the people that I want to work with first as colleagues and even as a sole proprietor, you have colleagues because there are people who are around you that you engage, you know, in, in other ways. And then most importantly, who will you serve? And, and you can substitute words like client, customer, constituent, student, you know, but Who's the end user of your work? You get to choose that. And I think sometimes we forget it, you know. And uh, and then the final piece is what kind of environment do I need to keep my energy up? And big things like, you know, geography to I want to, you know, be able to work from home in my pajamas 90% of the time or I need to wear a suit and be out in meetings. You know, we just we're different. So in all these things, there's no right or wrong, better or worse. They're just different. And And being clear about who you are is the first step of saying, this is what I want it to look like. And this is something I ask clients to keep that phrase in their head at all times. What does it look like? Because that leads us to behaviors and behaviors lead us to action. And I think that's the piece that um, is so critical for people to be able to make it actionable. And again, to break it in, it's like they say, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time, right. And, and so, you know, you, to say follow your passion sounds like, well, that, that's an end product. We have to go way back. Right. Does that so, make sense? Yes. So you have to start with yourself. 
before you Absolutely. can start with a team, before you know who the team is and, and where you want to go and how to inspire all that great stuff, you need to know who you are and you need to know what you want. Right. 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 So you yep. need to sort of dig inside, learn what your skills are, what your, your, uh, the things that, that get you excited, uh, the type of people that you want to work with, the environment you want to work with. You need to understand that first and document it, write it down yeah. and, and write it. I, I, I talk about uh, building, writing a vision narrative, sort of where do you want your life to look like five years from now as a story, like a, a day in a life. If, if limits were, there were no limits, there was no money limits. There was no, uh, uh, you know, professional limits. What would that life right. look like? And then work your way back to these things. And that sort of helps you learn who you are and what you, what you want to do. So once you do that, yeah. what do you, what do you do next? Yeah, I, I think the one thing is to, to recognize that in a field like architecture, if you say my ish, I'm an architect, it's huge. And there are so many nuances within the field. So I think once once you identify that piece and you're able to say very clearly to people, here's why I exist in the professional world. I mean, that that is if people say, well, what's your gig, Mark? You can be able to say, oh, here's my gig. Yeah, I'm trying to help people transform their lives and their businesses to be happy and effective. I mean, I'm making that up for yeah, you. Well, that's you know, pretty much it. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, it's, it's now there's this congruence between what you would say and what you do. That's what your materials look like. That's what your interactions are like. So that congruence is what will drive success because there are things that we can say that we do and we can maintain them for a little bit, but we can't do it long-term. And so what we're looking at, what can you, what can you do that, and say that uh, you can perform at a high level and sustain over a long period of time because that is what builds resilience and resilience is what makes successful practices. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to FreshBooks for their support as a platform sponsor of Entree Architect because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our overall mission here at Entree Architect, they recognize the need for small firms like us to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use accounting software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time, and get paid faster. It takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, and it all happens out on the cloud so you have access to your information from anywhere that you have access to the internet. And I use FreshBooks for my own small firm, Five Cat Studio. And my favorite feature of the FreshBooks software is sending my invoices by email and allowing my clients to pay by credit card. When FreshBooks says that you'll get paid faster, they're not kidding. With the convenience of clicking a button and paying by credit card, many of my clients pay now as soon as they receive their invoice. And for those clients who don't pay right away, FreshBooks automatically sends them a reminder of the balance due at an interval that I set. So once I send an invoice, I can go back to being an architect and I don't need to chase down any of my clients. And Tim Lee of FreshBooks will show you how easy it is to send invoices by email on our exclusive video series, Tim and I produced exclusively for the Entree Architect community. Check out this free video series at entrearchitect.com slash freshbooksvideo. There's no catch. There's no email. It's completely free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash freshbooksvideo and you will get the videos right away. There's three of them. Shows you everything you need to know about getting started. And then go to freshbooks.com slash architect, freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up 
for your free 30-day trial and give it a try. It's free. I suggest you just send one invoice and see what happens. That's how I got started. Just send one invoice to one client and see how it works. And when I did that and I got paid much faster than usual, I signed up for the rest of it and I set up my whole my whole account in FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com slash architect for your free 30-day trial. And be sure to enter Entree Architect into How Did You Hear About Us section. And then the next thing um, as a leader to say, okay, I need to own this and I need to engage other people in this, in this process. And there are really two groups as a leader. They're the people who you're going to work with to accomplish something, but then they're the people who you're going to do it for. And, you know, being clear about that and then being able to say, how do I build a team around me? Yeah. And, and that starts to go into the process of identifying my strengths and where are my gaps? And, and this is where being really clear about this um, is important because we tend to surround ourselves with people who are like us. And that rarely leads to a lot of success because yeah. we keep replicating what we like. And then we have somebody now we're competing with, you know, that they like to do it and I like to do it. But here's this other piece. Neither one of us likes to do it. Yeah. But it's really a critical piece to move my firm forward. Yeah, a great book is uh, Strength Finders 2.0 to sort of learn your your strengths. You can there's a you right. can read the book and at the end you take a test and then it sort of gives you uh, a list of strengths that you have. You can also have the people that you want to build the team with have them take that Strength Finders test and then you can see where the compatibilities are, see where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, and try to get a yeah. diverse list of strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, it's a terrific system. In fact, you know, this is something we didn't talk about. I was in on the beta testing of strength finding. Oh, yeah. And I was friends with the chief scientist on that and uh, and was involved in their first rollouts of it. And I still use it uh, consistently in my work with, with individuals and with teams. I think you're absolutely right. It is a simple, accessible um, thing that, that people can use and really improve their performance. You know, Steve, one of the things I want to I not, not miss is the fear yeah. is the fear because i think a lot of the uh sole proprietors and small firms who want to grow this this firm they know they have to you know they in order to get to where they want to go they've done that work well maybe they've done that work of knowing who they are and they've done the work of finding a target market if they've been listening to me they've done that because i've been screaming at them to do that find, <laughs> find your target market and 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 market towards a specific group of people and know who they are intimately um but how do you get psychologically get from working by yourself to finding that first team member? I mean, the first step is obviously knowing your strengths and then knowing who you need uh, to fill, fulfill that, that strength. But what about sort of that mental work that you need to do? Here's my experience with it. Everyone says we're afraid of change. We're afraid to move forward. We're afraid of success. And I found that is just not true. What is true is we're afraid of the unknown. And you've heard this this phrase, we, we, we'd rather live with the hell we know than the heaven we can't quite imagine. And, um, and I think for most people who are moving their business forward, the fear comes from not knowing what the steps are. If you lay it out, if you make it known, it's easy to follow because you can look at this first step and say, can I do that? Is it feasible? Is it practical? Do I have the skills? Do I have the resources? That's a yes or no answer. Right. And if you say yes, you move forward. 
you say no, then you ask, are those things that I can either acquire or have the desire to do? And if you have the desire, and the, then you say yes, and you move forward. And so each, each step of making something known allows you to eliminate some of that fear. And it's that big vacuum that we're afraid of. And what happens is, because as humans, we don't like that empty space, we fill it in with something else. And we usually fill it in with bad information. So we just make stuff up. Yeah. And then we say, well, I could never do that because I'll bet this is this, this, you know, the economy's doing this, someone else, the confidence. But the fact is you don't know. People don't know. And until you get the real information, you just have to keep moving forward. So I, what I work with people is like, make it simple, make it easy. What are the steps? What's an action you can take? What's a behavior you can change? And then do it. And then, all, you know, and again, it's like so many things. When you look at the end product of many steps, it's a huge transition. But if you looked at making right. one huge transition, you know, let's just do the first one. Oh, we did that. All right, let's do the second one. So a three-foot drop is a lot better than a 30-foot drop. Yeah, yeah, small victories. Just Absolutely. Yep, but, but again, being very clear about here's what I need to do and how I need to do it, and now I do it, and I'm ready for the next one. Right, so you need to plan it. So you need to – step one is to, to – go deep inside yourself. Step two is right. to sort of understand who you need to, to help you go in the direction you want to go. Um, what's the third step? The, the third step is to actually make actionable how you bring those people into your lives. And I think that's why going inside and being clear about what you need starts to create a touchstone for which you can say yes and no to both to opportunities and to people. And so if you look and say, here's what I need to accomplish that I can't do, and, I, and it's clear, I need another person to do this, then you start to look at, well, functionally, what would it look like to have someone here to successfully do this with me? And then you break it down into saying, here's what skills they need, here's the kind of issues they're going to deal with me. You, do, you take what you did for yourself and you apply it to that next role. And then you go out and you say to people, here's what I need. Is this you? Can you demonstrate this to me? Because if you like what we're talking about and I hire you, you're going to love it here. And I'm going to love having you here. But if you don't put that specificity on it and be clear about what you need, you're going to get someone. And we usually we hire someone who's there, someone we like, someone we think is going to be easy. And inevitably, we're like, they're not getting the work done. And it's driving me crazy and it's killing my business. And it's a lot, you know, so it's the old adage, you know, kind of hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. Um, but being thoughtful about what it is that you need and then engaging people in that process. And I think one of the, the phrases I would encourage your listeners to keep in mind around leadership that that's really hard when you're an expert and, and you know, look, you're highly trained, highly skilled experts and people are calling you to be for expertise. But it's to be interested and not interesting. And I think it's it's so easy to try and be interesting and tell everybody, um, you know, what you know, when in fact you need to listen to what they need. And and I think that's where in this process of engaging someone in your practice to say to them very clearly, here's what I'm after, and then listen and gather the information about that person to make sure that you are getting what you want. And at the same time, they're providing, you know, 
the information to you that's going to help you decide, is this the person that I can be with? Is this a person that can move me forward, who will engage me, engage my clients, and move this process forward? Then you're ready to start to establish who's in this with me. Right. And and you need to actually pull the trigger, right? I mean, you need yeah. to, you need to you need to get to that point uh, where you maybe if you're if you're hopping off of the the three foot cliffs and three foot cliffs when you get to that final cliff um, to actually pull the trigger and and hire somebody, you need to just do it. Sometimes it right. just takes a matter of you know just jumping in the cold water at the bottom of the cliff and and try it, you know and. There's nothing wrong with you know taking that risk, and if you made a mistake, you start over. You go back to the beginning of the process, and you do it again. I did that three times before I found the the team that I really needed. Um, yeah. And I didn't do this process that you're talking about, which is why I made those mistakes. If I made if I went through this process and I knew more about who I was and the roles I needed and the strengths I needed to fill, uh, I probably would have been much more successful earlier on. Um, but I pulled the trigger, and that's really the thing that that we need to do once we once we go through these steps. So we build, we 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 hire this first person, and we start this this process, and they start working with you, and you they and if you need the next person, you do this process again, and you hire another one, and you have this team, right? So now we have we we've learned how to start, we learned how to grow. Are you basically just doing this again, right? Is there anything more to growing? Do you think that uh, we should talk about? Yeah, I, I think, you know, once you get to that point, it, you have to understand that it's not over. It's just started. And so you get the person there and then the then the work really begins of, again, continuing to listen and to communicate what your expectations are. And this is where I think a lot of people fall down because they get busy being busy with other things yeah. and they forget to attend to, well, why did I bring this person on? It's because I need this specific thing done. So one is immediately, you know, to engage people in the conversation around, here's what I'm looking at every day. And here's what I want you to spend your time on. And here's what we're going to talk about on how close we are to that goal when we've reached it. And when we move to the next one, what resources do you need to accomplish this? What do you need from me? And, and when I was in a position as a dean of a college, I would say to my, you know, staff, you know, if you want my attention, because I live off in, in my own mind sometimes, and I, you know, on the Myers big, very introverted. And so I have this rich inner, inner dialogue, but I say, I will be very responsive, but sometimes you might have to come to my desk, grab my, each of my ears, pull my face close to yours and say, I need you to do this. You know, so it's having an intentional conversation about here's what I need. Here's what you can expect from me. Here's what, you know, so we, we start that process of, as you said, strength finder, um, you know, personality issues, how do we communicate? It, it's really having those conversations about what does it take to motivate, appreciate, and provide feedback. And and some very simple things, you know, I, I would encourage your listeners to do is ask. You know, when in doubt, ask someone. So if, if you know, if I'm going to work with you, Mark, I need to say, well, what's the single best thing I could do to motivate you? And what's the worst thing? Because yeah. left to my own devices, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. And this is where the golden rule absolutely destroys small businesses, you know, because we think everybody wants what we want. You know, they don't. So treat people like they want to be treated. And that means you simply ask them. Yeah. What's so, the best? So so it's, so do you also in 
you talked about sort of being defining the results, making sure that they understand what you expect from them. Would you do that uh, together with them? Or would you sort of decide what you want them to do and present it to them and say, here's what I want you to do? Yeah, I, I think there's it's the latter. You say, here's what I need to have accomplished for us to move forward. I hired you because you're an expert in getting that done. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to tell you what I want to have done. And I'm going to hold you accountable for that. I'm not going to allow you to veer off and say, well, you know, I really like this other thing better. Because the behaviors we have, and this is where I often am pulled in as a consultant. They say, you know, I'm just, we're not productive. How are we like, well, did you tell them what you want? Well, not really. They should know. I'm like, yeah. well, they don't know if you don't tell them. And then to move, go the next step and say, the behavior you get is what you model or tolerate. And to say, they're, they're going to watch you. And if, if you say, I need you here at eight o'clock and you come at nine, guess what time they're coming? Right. 8.55, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's because it, it, that's modeling. Or if you're there and they roll in at eight and they roll in at 8.55 and you're like, oh, well, that's okay. That you've taught, you've, you've sanctioned the behavior. So I, this is where, you know, I, when I look at professional people like architects and attorneys and doctors that I work with, they, you know, they've been trained to be specialists, but not in this. And this is where I think you're providing such a great service, you know, to your listeners of, of putting some structure to this really important task um, that they just don't have access to in the professional training and, and, and realizing the happiness of why you got into the field in the first place. There's something that gives great joy Right. Uh, in being an architect, but if you get bogged down in the other stuff and can't do it effectively or engage people with you, boy, it takes the life right out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when you get the team, right, it's amazing when you're working yeah. with smart people and experienced people and people who have the strengths that you don't have, they they sort of fill in the gaps where you might have gaps and you've, you've established that team it's invigorating, it's inspiring, it's exciting to come to work every day and work with those people. Um, how, how, once you have that team and it's, and it's working and, and you sort of uh, clipped it where it needed to be clipped and you pruned it where it needed to be pruned and it's growing, how do you then, and you've, you've sort of started talking about this already, is how do, you, how do you inspire them to sort of move in the same direction that you want them to move? Not on a daily task basis, but sort of in a, in a big vision sort of way. Right. I, I think that's, um, you know, some, again, that broken into small pieces really helps. And, and, and I would frame that around the questions of saying, well, who are we together? Where are we going? And then how are we going to get there? And so the, the who are we is as the owner, as you know, uh, or the person who starts this, this practice, you know, you really want to be able to say, here is my vision. Now, you know, this is where, why I started this. This is how I you know, want to engage people and do, you have to just be unapologetic about what your, your picture is yep. and say, now we're in a different position. I'm not by myself. I'm with all of you and I need us to go the same direction at the same time. So now together, let's answer the question. Why do we exist? Because I've already answered the question professionally. Why do I exist? What's that deliverable? I want to do that with you to make sure we're on the same page, walking the same direction, same time, whatever analogy you want to use. But we're going to look each other in the eye and say, we're doing the same thing. And so to say, can you say in seven words, why do we exist as a, as a practice? Second thing is to say, okay, 
what does that look like to the rest of the world? To again, make it behavioral and say, okay, together we've decided why we're here. Now, what would other people see or experience from us that would tell them that that's the case, that they would experience that that's the case? Because so many times we, you know, we, we say this is what we're about, but we don't do that. You know, and that's where I think when you look at, at great um, consumer experiences or service experiences, you know who's on track. When I, I think about when I call L.L. Bean, I have yeah. no question what's going to happen. You know, they're just I know they are living whatever they say, you know, every day. And people, if I don't have that experience, then they have the wrong team member, you know, and they have to, as you said, start over. But that doesn't happen very often. Right. And I think it's engaging that the people around you in that piece and then to break it down further, say, OK, now that we know what that what that looks like for for us and for the people we work with and serve. We need to operationalize that and say, what specifically do we need to do to make that happen? All right. Now we need to put some parameters on it. Now we need to put a timeline on it. Now we need to put some ownership on it. Who is responsible for that? When are we going to do it? How often are we going to do it? And and how much does it cost us to do it? Now, And if you work through all that, at the end of the day, if you looked at it, you're like, well, guess what? That's a strategic plan. Right. But right. if you but if you went to a sole proprietor and said, you know, you're going to do a strategic plan, right. they'd go, oh, crap. You know, I have no idea what you're talking about. Simple, easy, common sense. It's it's a it's a process. Right. But it's little pieces make one big thing. Yeah. And that and that's the big takeaway, I think, is that ultimately you need to plan and, right. and, you, and you need to document it. And I and listeners to this podcast hear me say it all the time. You need to 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 put together a business plan. You need to put together a life plan. You need to put together a strategic plan. And the reason I say that is exactly what Steve and I are talking about here is, is if you don't write it down, it goes away. You know, if you don't figure it out and figure out all these little steps and document it, the next thought comes into your mind and that great thought that you had is gone. And, and you don't, you haven't established the steps that you take in order to make that fear go away and to, and to hire the right people and to, and to build the right team. It all takes thought, but it also takes documentation and, and planning and, and step by step, those small little steps, break it up into small steps and they ultimately become exactly what you want it to be. And once you do it with one employee, the second one's easier. And then the third one's easier. The fourth one's easier. And so Steve, I appreciate uh, your knowledge here today on the Entree Architect podcast. This has been great. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And I, I think, you know, on your final point, you're hitting something that's absolutely just the, the touchstone for this whole thing. And I think of, you know, what Woody Allen said about being a great filmmaker when they said, well, why are you so good and other people aren't? He says, 80% of success is showing up. Yeah. And and you can have all these things, and but you have to do them and you have to do them every day. He said that I work every day. He said, I just go to work, you know, Yeah. and good things happen when I show up and put my attention on the things that matter to me. And I'm true to that. Then, you know, great things are, are possible. But you have to do, as you said, Mark, really attend to it and be clear and uh, and do the work. Yeah. And, and one step at a time. It's not scary yep. when you do those little small victories. Steve, your world on the Internet is stevelangrude.com. And it's uh, Langrude is L-A-N-G-E-R-U-D. 
So stevelangrude.com. You're on Twitter, at Steve Langrude. Um, anywhere else that you want to uh, share here with the Entree Architect community? Oh, I think if um, if people are interested in connecting, that LinkedIn is a terrific resource, and um, and I'd be happy to connect with people on LinkedIn and have conversations there, or uh, look look at that too. So you know, it's been a great pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great having you here, and I'm sure there'll be some comments uh, out on social media and on the blog. So once this goes live, I will send you a link, and you can contribute and uh, speak with all the. The, uh, the audience members here and answer any questions they might have if you're interested in that. Yeah, terrific. Thank you. All right. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. My pleasure. All this month, we're going to be writing about and talking about and sharing on leadership. This month's theme is leadership. In January, we talked about financial management. And in February, we talked about business development and sales this month, all month long, leadership. And you can go to the show notes right now. The direct link can be downloaded for this episode. And there are a whole bunch of comments down below that you can contribute to at entrearchitect.com slash episode 113. That's this episode number 113. And head over to the blog and, and I want to know what's going on with you. What are you struggling with, with in terms of leadership? Maybe it's it's how to get started. How do you how do you start building a team? Like we talked to with uh, with Steve today. I want to know. Uh, you could also go to the Facebook group, our free private Facebook group at entrearchitect.com/group, and you could go there and you could share there as well. So we give you lots of options here at Entree Architect. I just want to know. I want to know what you're thinking and what you're struggling with, so we can help you. So go over and share, and don't forget to pick up access to your free three-module digital course, Profit for Small Firm Architects. It's free and it will help you be more profitable. Just head over to entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's easy to remember. entrearchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go share what you know. I'll see you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. 
I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.